Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> <laughs> Monument to Highgate. Written by Kev Harrison. Narrated by Ian McEwan. Claire weaved to avoid the half-closed gate at the last moment, the message delayed between sleepy eyes and exhausted brain. She heaved her shoulder bag through the barriers and onto the escalators, the weight of yet more files to audit tugging at her sanity almost as much as at her aching back. She stepped onto the northbound platform just in time to hear that familiar beep, watch the doors close, the train gliding quietly out of the station. She glanced up at the departure board further along the platform. Welcome to Bank Station. The next train is for Mill Hill East and will depart in nine minutes. Nine? Shit, she said, and slumped onto one of the metallic benches dotting the deserted platform. It was the third night working late that week, and the forecast for tomorrow was hectic too. She clutched her bag to her chest, rested her eyes for a moment. Strong wind, followed by the rhythmic rumbling of the train, shook her from her involuntary nap. She yawned as the doors slid open, then sat at the end of a row. She was leaning back against the window, snoring, before the train pulled into Moorgate 90 seconds later. 
The doors opened. The garish light of the platform washed in. The electric motor turned over several times. Stopped. It was quiet, punctuated by distant voices reflecting off tiled walls elsewhere in the station. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is your driver speaking, said a voice from the ceiling-mounted speaker. We'll be held at a red signal. To regulate the service and prevent further delays, this service will now terminate at Highgate. All passengers for stations to Mill Hill East, please change at Highgate. Stand clear of the closing doors. A warning beep sounded, and the train rolled out of the station. Still, Claire slept. The gentle rocking of the train lulled her further into slumber. Even her subconscious mind was impervious to the buzzing of the public address as it kicked in. This is your driver speaking. This train terminates here. All change, please. All change. The train lingered on the platform for a few minutes until the familiar warning rang out and the doors closed. The brakes hissed compressed air and the train rumbled at half speed into the darkness of the tunnel, the shifted points leading it onto a siding. The doors slid open once more and the lights blacked out. At the front of the train, the driver left his cabin, shining his torch in front of his feet as he strolled the length of the train to the cab at the other end. He heard a shuffling sound behind him as he was about to board. He spun around, searching the dark platform with his torch, finding nothing. Hello? Silence. He grinned to himself and boarded the train, sitting, then closing his door with a click. At that moment, a man and a woman peeled back the door to a service tunnel and silently boarded the train. What a beautiful angel she'll make, the man purred. Bag her. The woman stepped forward, roughly pulling a Hessian sack over Claire's head. Claire flinched, grasping with her arms, but the woman was fast and strong. She pulled tightly on the leather cord strung around the sack's opening and pulled it tight to Claire's neck. She half managed to scream a muffled, Help! before she felt a prick in the side of her neck, and then a cold sensation, which rapidly spread to her torso, then her extremities. Darkness seeped into her vision like liquid until everything was black. When she came round, she had no idea how long she'd been out. The first thing she noticed was the smell, damp and musty, Dim light illuminated an arched ceiling of bare brick above her. She tried to move and felt coarse rope binding her wrists and ankles, cold metal beneath her skin. Her skin. She was naked, lying on a table. She looked down and found her body covered with a filthy sheet. She heard a scraping sound from her right and froze. 
scrunching her eyes tightly shut and counting her breaths as she tried to stay on top of the panic that threatened to bubble to the surface. She tilted her head in the direction of the sound and saw a man in ragged, stained overalls, smoothing out the torso of a stunningly realized male body, its muscular left arm reaching up into the sky like a sculpture of a Greek god. Beautiful, she said without thinking, her throat painfully dry. The man turned to face her. His face and hands were dirty, his chin cloaked in a layer of patchy stubble. He ambled over. You're awake, my angel, he said. It's Claire, she said forcefully. Are you... She choked. Are you going to rape me? She felt tears welling in her eyes as her lips formed the words. The man dropped the putty knife to the ground. Rape? Oh, goodness no. You must think me a monster. His eyes darted down to the putty knife on the floor, then back up to her. He scuttled off into a poorly illuminated corner and quickly hurried back with a cup. He lowered the rim to Claire's lips. It's water, fresh. You must drink, he said. She tilted her head, took a sip, felt the liquid soothe the sandpaper-like texture at the back of her throat, and gulped more. A light breeze kissed her newly moistened lips. Better, the man said, placing the cup on a table. Claire nodded as best she could. He perched on a wooden stool and smiled. I'm not a rapist, Claire. Far from it. I'm an artist. A sculptor. He gestured to the effigy he'd been working on when she came to. It was more than two meters tall, the Herculean figure atop a plinth of sorts. It's incredible, said Claire, her throat chafing less after the drink. So lifelike. The man lowered himself from his stool and stepped back running an open hand along the lateral muscles of the figure. I work from life, you see, he said. A rumbling sounded from somewhere nearby. Trains. Where are we? In my studio. He spoke quickly, seemingly agitated. Below Eyegate. It's the ideal place for my work, for my... Monuments. His eyes flicked back to the statue. The cemetery? said Claire, asking the question aloud. He stepped forward, nodding his head vigorously. That's right, I've been sculpting grave pieces for forty years. Then, technology got better. Molds were more. more real. Much demand for an artisan when you can buy a machine-made cherub that looks no different for half the price. His eyes were distant. We almost lost the house, Sue and me. I had to find a way to show I was better. To be better. His eyes refocused on Claire, and he grinned. 
Claire inhaled deeply. But why kidnap people? Why not just advertise for mortals? I'd love to pose for a sculpture if I thought it'd come out like that, immortalized by a, a real pro. Oh, Claire, my dear, I don't think you understand. You're going to provide so much more than simple inspiration. A clang rang out from the darkness, followed by the sound of metal grinding on stone. A door. Footsteps followed. Claire squinted into the darkness, but couldn't make anything out in the gloom. When she looked back, the man was standing, walking along the length of her. He reached into his pocket and pulled out a Stanley knife, pressing forward the blade and beginning to slice at the rope that bound Claire's left foot. What are you doing now? What's happening? Claire was shrieking, the proximity of the blade to her skin causing her to panic. Then the woman staggered out of the gloom. She smiled, lowering a huge barrel to the floor, a wooden implement protruding from the ash-colored goop within. She's awake then, Tom, the angel, the woman said, fixing a hand around Claire's right ankle just as it was about to be cut free. Tom finished slicing through the rope and pulled back the knife. He planted a kiss on the woman's forehead and moved toward the other ankle binding. The angel has a name, Saint Claire, he said and chuckled, starting again with the knife. The woman peeled back the sheet and leered at Claire's body. She will make a beautiful angel. You were right to choose her. Hold the other leg now, Sue Love, said the man as he split the final cause of the rope. He placed the knife on the table and strolled over to the barrel. Claire tried to kick out with her feet, but Sue squeezed her ankles tightly, pressing them onto the cold steel. Claire glanced at the man as he carried the barrel up a stepladder, setting it in place in a makeshift wooden frame. He descended and strolled back towards Claire. He crouched, his face inches from hers. She could smell the coffee on his breath. Now, are we going to do this the easy way or the hard way? Do what? Claire's eyes darted to the barrel. I think you know. Sue, the knife, please. He reached out and took the blade, began hacking at the rope binding her hands above her head. Claire squirmed and thrashed, but Sue reached higher up her legs, gripping her tightly just below the knee, her fingertips digging into the flesh. She glanced back up to where the man was furiously hacking at the cord that bound her wrists. The knife ate into the fabric until her arms were free. She pulled down with all her strength, the end of the rope audibly whipping through the air. She felt her center of gravity sweep over the edge of the table, almost losing her balance. 
The sound of the knife clanging against the ground reverberated from the bare brick walls as she struggled into an upright position. She reached down, squeezing Sue's wrist and twisting until she cried out in pain and released her grip. Seeing her chance, she swiveled and lowered herself to the ground. She looked both ways, wild eyes watching her, waiting for her to make her move. She gripped the edge of the table she'd been lying on and shoved it to her left toward Sue. Claire turned to run, but Tom was too fast. A punch directed expertly to her kidneys, sending a wave of nausea through her body. Tom wrapped his arm around her neck, squeezing her chin into his elbow and guided her over to the wooden frame. You're going to get yourself in trouble, St. Clair, he said, and made a tutting sound. Claire looked up nervously at the rickety contraption, creaking under the weight of the bucket. Her eyes darted back to Tom. You... you can't... you just can't... Neither he nor Sue replied. They simply angled her upright, holding fast from both sides against her thrashing limbs. The man took hold of her right hand and pulled it into a loop of wire, adjusting the height of it so it hung regally above her head. Hold her left hand in front now, Sue. I'm going to tip the plaster, he said, tugging at a crude lever at head height. The barrel lurched forward the first splashes of the plaster dappling Claire's shoulder. She looked into Sue's eyes. Don't do this, please. A single tear traced the curvature of her cheek. She stopped struggling, allowing Sue to pull her hand forward into the desired pose. The plaster flowed faster, clogging her hair, beginning to run down her forehead. She blinked as she felt a drop invade her eye. Tom stepped higher onto the ladder to increase the angle, gloopy liquid flowing onto Claire's head. With one final burst of strength, she twisted her left hand, gripping Sue's wrist. She yanked her towards her, Sue turning her body in a vain attempt to avoid the cascade. But it was too late. She opened her mouth to scream, plaster filling her mouth and spilling over her lips and onto her tattered clothes. She tried to flinch, but the plaster had begun to set around Claire's hand, fixing her to the spot. Tom stood atop the ladder, powerless to intervene once Sue had swallowed the viscous fluid. He watched plaster cover the two of them until their heads were coated, airways sealed shut. He scratched his stubbly chin. Oh, Sue, if you had to go, at least it was for the sake of my art, he said. Now, I wonder if the Douglas family will take two angels for their tomb. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. Monument to Highgate was written by Kev Harrison. Narrated by Ian McEwen, edited by Carl Hughes, and music by Tom Robson. All the sound effects in this episode were sourced from freesound.org. So, it's competition time. We're giving away a signed copy of The Other Stories Volume 2, 
massive print edition of the other stories, collecting all the stories from the second year of the podcast. Now, if you want to be a chance to win, then you'll need to head over to www.hawkandcleaver.com forward slash competition and fill in your details there. So, if you'd like to consume your story content through the medium of the printed page, or you just fancy having something nice to sit on the shelf, then once again, head over to hawkandcleaver.com forward slash competition. Until next time.